Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Big Ideas Show. Today we're going to be talking with Steve Bowes and and most of the people listening to this will know that Steve Bowes is the co-chair of the annual HR Technology Conference is just coming up this fall in Las Vegas. Uh, that's the sort of the cream of Steve's accomplishment. He's the longest lasting host of a um, of an online radio show that has been going since 2009. And he was uh, he was on the strategy team at Oracle. He's been all over the industry. He, as as I recall, was the first person to teach a course in HR technology at the college level. So, Mr. HR Tech, how are you? John, I am well. Thank you for having me. Good to talk to you once again. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so we were talking before the show about how to spend the time, and we got it. We got to at least go um, HR Tech Conference, Nevada. Please come. Uh, do we need to spend? Absolutely, we must mention that. Yes, uh, <laughs> I will just. You'll indulge me just for a minute. I promise it'll be just a minute. But yeah, we're really excited about this year's event. Uh, John, of course, will be there presenting once again. But it's our HR Tech Conference 20th annual event in Las Vegas, October. 10th through 13th. Uh, check out the details at www.hrtechconference.com. Yeah, I look, look forward to seeing lots of folks out there. We won't, won't bore everybody for a half an hour about our agenda. Just trust me, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's deep, it's wide, rich, and it's going to be a great event. So thank you for letting me uh, mention that. Yeah, well, we, you know, we, I'm happy to talk all, all day about it because it, it is the um, the centerpiece of the the global HR technology market, and so so it's it's a, it's an important event, and I encourage anybody who who's listening who hasn't been to show up. This this is this is a spectacle well worth beholding. Yeah, um, we started we started figuring out where we might wander with this conversation, and and so there is a there's a cluster of things that have been happening that that have to do with. Oh, let, let's maybe, maybe let's start start by talking about cultural fit and the emerging technologies that are promising to pick people who work better in your company than other people do. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a really interesting topic. And so uh, we've, uh, you know, in the industry have been talking about culture and cultural fit for a long time. It's not not really a new concept or new idea, but I just, in my opinion, I've always felt frustrated by that concept a little bit just because it's so opaque and it's so um, malleable and, and a little bit at times, I think, unfair, right? And we've heard some of the arguments. I've probably made some of them myself that suggest, you know, cultural hiring for cultural fit is, is just a code word for you know, hire people uh, that look just like us, who went to the same college as we did, who, who frequent the same restaurants and have the same zip codes, right, that we uh, are comfortable with uh, interacting with people like that. And so, but the, the flip side of that is if you make that argument and you support that argument, you know, then, well, what, what's a better way? What is, is, is hiring and talent management and alignment is it better to be completely based on quantifiable things, uh, skills, licenses, specific experience sets, 
technical ability and specific technologies uh, and care about those things only and ignore these other, you know, more difficult to determine and more difficult to quantify kind of ideas around culture and fit and the, the classic, you know, w- would I like to have a beer with this person test right before I'd hire them. And so I, you know, I, I, as, as a technology person, as a guy who came up in finance and accounting, I, I'm always kind of biased towards, I trust things that I can see and I can count and I can measure and I can track. Right. And so that's probably been the basis of my, you know, reticence and, and, and concerns about cultural fit as, as a concept to be used as, as, as a linchpin or as a, uh, uh, the foundation of, of talent strategies. That's kind of some of the things I think about when we talk about cultural fit. Yeah. I, I, I think, I, I think I agree with you pretty squarely. It seems to me that, that culture and diversity are two opposing forces, right? Culture <laughs> Culture is all about the sameness, right? It's all about the, you can tell we're part of the same group because we all wear lederhosen, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so so if you bring somebody who doesn't wear lederhosen, but but is is well known for their clown pants, um, and they have, (laughs) you you know, bright, bright flowered pants, and you try to integrate them into the lederhosen culture, what happens is you have to change the lederhosen culture, right? And so, yeah. and so, so it seems to me that, that diversity requires a cultural change. Now, now I'm, I'm, I get blowback on this idea. Um, um, and, and, and I expect some, but, but that's kind of what you're saying is that, is that, is that, um, cultural fit means can you wriggle your way into a pair of lederhosen and it leaves out all of the wonderful people in clown pants who might make a big difference in, inside of the company. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't and I, think, and I think we actually know enough about um, what's going on inside of the um, inside of the organization to tell that's one of the things that really gets me is, is that, that we don't have any good models of a human organization as a dynamic system. And as a result, the, the stuff that claims to make things go together better, I, I get nervous about that because it seems to me that the underlying science is pretty shallow. Yeah. I, I think, I think I'd, I'd probably, uh, agree with that. I think there's an awful lot that we yet don't know or have, or have convinced ourselves that we know, and uh, we're, we're probably, uh, we're probably a little bit wrong about them. And, and another way this manifests, I think, is um, when we look at things, technologies, many of the new predictive models that are, that are emerging in HR tech around uh, understanding potential and, and, expected high performance and things it, it, it makes a really big assumption that you know we're good at we're good at understanding what good performance is like we uh we we can recognize it we can quantify it we can identify it we can determine who's not a good performer right and particularly in roles that aren't so cut and dry say and even roles that are cut and dry like a sales role for example just because someone sold the most widgets last quarter does that 
really mean he or she's the best salesperson. I don't know. You know, maybe they, maybe they just got lucky. Maybe the, the really best salesperson just, uh, you know, had a bad week. You know, there's so much around what we don't know, and we kind of convince ourselves that we do know. Uh, even even when things that we can measure. So with these things that we can't really measure and we can only sort of try to recognize or try to describe like whether or not this person fits that, the pair of lederhosen correctly and in a way that we feel is uh, will we'll fit into the, to the tribe. Uh, I think we're asking a lot of our systems and processes when they're based on a lot of uh, I don't know, underpinning assumptions that it's hard to know that they're true. Right. Uh, you know, I've been looking I've been looking for for a couple of very intense months now at a range of systems that propose to match people to jobs. And one of the seriously most interesting things about the group of people who are engaged in that work is none of them really understand organizations. None of them have credentials in organizational science of any kind. Right. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. They're all really, like really great engineers, and that's cool. But 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 a job is not necessarily the sum of all of its engineering components. It's it's there's something more to a job than that. And my take is, you know, I've been I've been looking hard. And it seems to me that I don't know anybody who has the same job two days in a row. I recognize mm-hmm. that there are people who do, but I don't know any of them. The, the, the universe yeah. of people whose job changes every day is quite large, even though if you ask them what they do, they say they're an accountant or a salesperson or, or like right. that. But, 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 but the information worker doesn't really have routine that makes their behavior predictable from moment to moment. And as technology comes along, you, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everybody just had to learn how to do their job on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, right. right. What, what, what do I, what I thought of when you suggested that was even those folks whose job may seem repetitive, uh, routine, you know, uh, static, they're almost certainly not, right? Because external technologies are being foisted upon everyone, right? It's very hard to find uh, the worker in any capacity that wouldn't have at least some change pushed upon them from time to time, maybe not day to day, but certainly month to month, year to year, right? New systems, new processes, you know, do your own benefits now, mister, right? We're not, you don't, you know, we're not going to do them for you, you know, uh, all the way to uh, get certified in on new safety requirements that have just passed, you know, in your state, things like that. So it's uh, uh, in that kind of a world where things are moving and shifting so quickly, may perhaps it even suggests more that these kind of interpersonal, these hard to quantify, but, 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 but really important kind of ideas about, who can kind of survive, thrive, and help others to thrive in those environments or, or what we should be thinking about. <laughs> I don't know if as much as technical competence, but at least more than we think about them now. And maybe we should be asking people like sociologists or school teachers even, right? Who people have to get, who know a little bit more about how people can get along in difficult and stressful environments versus say engineers who are just trying to quantify a set of skills against other, other sets of skills. So, so I don't know how far down this next rabbit hole you want to dive, but, but this whole conversation is adjacent to the question of what does diversity of opinion mean in an organization, right? And we've yeah. had, we've had a month of 
it, it's really challenging to talk about the topics because the, the, the loudest part of the audience is clear that there's something wrong. But there's, there's a question about where's the line between work and my ability to have an opinion? Um, and, 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 and what do you do about that? And how do you have a conversation about it without making everybody mad? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's that I think it's really interesting right now. And some of this, you know, I, I mentioned before the show, I was thinking about this a little bit and hadn't had a chance to, uh, uh, really, really expound on it uh, too much, but, you know, just the recent stuff that's been in the news, starting with, uh, I mean, not starting with, but at least the, the, the biggest news with our, uh, our friend uh, engineer there over at Google who wrote that memo and had some controversial opinions, uh, had some controversial opinions in the memo, set off the firestorm of debate and discussion, which culminated in amongst other things, him getting fired. And I thought it was really kind of interesting to watch that play out and kind of uh, see like really, you know, this guy got into some trouble for, uh, what was what turned out to be, say, an unpopular, or at least a minority opinion on a number of uh, topics in his uh, workplace, and uh, and he got him got him fired. And I thought, you know, whether it's him or maybe like you know the pictures we've seen on TV, if we see some people marching and you know with a a group of neo Nazis or something, and we see, oh, you know, that's not the kind of people we want working at our company. Well, that, that those seem pretty cut and dry, pretty clear. Like, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to come down on the side of those types of folks. But what if the next issues maybe not so cut and dry? What if the next, uh, you know, controversy is is a little more gray, if you will, right? And and what's the role of the organization in sort of having, I don't know, uh, is part of an organization's culture and a culture that they're trying to, to maintain and, and build and, and establish, you know, does it involve these kinds of opinions and, and, and a certain, you know, it's a weird, I, I'm not really kind of maybe crystallizing, but this reminds me of the whole corporations or people thing from a few years back. I can't right. remember which, uh, which one of our politicians said that and he got into trouble saying corporations or people, but but again, when a corporation like a Google or anybody else kind of takes like almost like an official position or an opinion on, on a, a political or a social issue, well, that's what a person does, right? Like, so uh, uh, I find it very, very interesting and, and perhaps just a, a tiny bit scary, right? If, if organizations are going to be in kind of the business of, of selecting group opinions and, and, and enforcing them through hiring and firing decisions. Well, you, you know, um, I am, I'm, I've made a living for a very, very long time having um, well-developed views that are not mainstream, right? And, and <laughs> <laughs> right, right. If, if the water is going south, I'm swimming north. That's, 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 that's what I do, right? And so I am, I am acutely aware of what it means to fit and not fit inside of organizations. I, I, I often um, get work because people can rely on me to have an articulate view that doesn't match theirs. Um, and, and so when I, when I hear a great deal of emphasis about conformity, I get anxious um, mm -hmm. because, yeah. because, because I exactly don't fit. And, 
um, and, and, and do that pretty well, generally speaking. But if the rule becomes we don't want to deal with you unless you fit, um, it sort of shrinks my market. <laughs> 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 and, and so I have this purely economic set of questions about about that. And, and what I find really interesting is that that a lot of the pressure to make strong judgments comes from parts of the universe that are about um, um, making sure that there's breadth in opinion things. So, so, so I find that we're in a really interesting point in time where, where things are simply not clear. Things are yeah. simply not clear. And this is where, where leadership matters, right? This is where leadership matters when things aren't clear waiting for the wind to blow properly so you can tell what to do is how you lose. And um, um, jumping, that's, that's why, what's strong about what Google did um, is that they went ahead and did something. What's hard about what Google did is it sends a kind of a chilling message to anybody who wants to explore the edges of the conventional idea set. Um, and, yeah. and Google depends on its people being able to do that. Yeah, and I, I think that, that that's a great point. I, I think there's two sides of it, really, or maybe there's three, but the, there's that's why I find this conversation kind of interesting, and, and I've been thinking about it a lot, because it's every time you think about it more, you uncover something else, right? That makes it even more interesting. And, you know, some of the, um, you know, in lots of different verticals, tech is one and, you know, energy, how you healthcare probably, right? So, so much market position and market power, at least, the, you know, in the, is, is kind of concentrated in a relatively small number of firms, right? Turn on CNBC any day of the last five years and, you know, they spend half their time talking about Facebook and Amazon and Google and Netflix and, you know, to the, to, to the lack of any other. And so if, if organizations like that, I'm not, I'm not picking on any of them specifically, you know, but, but if organizations like that, with that kind of size, with that kind of power, that kind of influence, right, uh, outsized influence, even to their own corporate size, um, start to make these kinds of decisions and take these kinds of positions does that endanger or the opportunities or limit opportunities for folks, uh, for individual folks, right, who may not fit those molds? And does it, will it ultimately serve some kind of uh, detriment to their own organizations themselves by, by that kind of self-limiting, kind of self-determining philosophy that says we're only going to be comfortable and in, 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 in happy working with people who fit these molds and it doesn't have to be this particular one issue that set all this off with what the with the guy at google wrote about it it could, it could really be any could be anything and um I, I don't know i find that really interesting and at the same time you could say well you know you can you can kind of get by if you have un, unpopular opinions or if you belong to some fringe group that you know most of the rest of your coworkers wouldn't agree with well just keep that you know keep that to yourself but at the same time right how many how many things that we said with organizations that tell people, oh, you need to bring your, your whole authentic self to work, right? Be a whole person. Don't, you know, there's no work-life balance anymore, right? It's, it's, it's everything. It's all one big mix and, and be true to yourself and all that at the same time. And, and I'm suggesting, at least in this example, this guy couldn't have it both ways, right? He couldn't, right? At least there, at least at Google, he couldn't. And, um, well, 
That's another well, element I, of this that I find interesting. I think I think that what you're talking about is true in most organizations. So 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 often I only have my own experience to go on. But I I came out of college, um, uh, a dyed in the wall very liberal hippie and went to work in the defense industry. And guess what I wasn't right. allowed to do? I wasn't allowed to talk yeah. politics. Right? Yeah. And and I I really liked the job. I really wanted the job. I really wanted to be there. And I found out very, very quickly that things were going to be better if I left politics in the car out of the parking lot and didn't bring them into the office. And yeah. And and that's just to me because it's it's so woven into my experience. That's just what you expect from people when they go to work, is that that they are sensitive enough to the impact of their views on other people around them that that they leave it in the parking lot. And the counterbalance to that, which is, it, it's it's hard to reconcile. I don't know that there's that there's a rational answer here, but the counterbalance to that is there are social issues that are so important that you can't avoid needing to bring them into the workplace, right? If you, if you couldn't argue about what makes a, a woman a success or not a success in technology, then things would never progress. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you, and if you, if you couldn't have, um, I didn't realize this. One of the one of the people who's getting bullied about in the transgender discussion in the, in the military is a senior naval officer. I didn't realize there were senior naval officers who were transgender. But but right. the way that the way that you get the change is by um, learning how to live with things that are, I I can guarantee you that there was nobody in the military who was in favor of that person having a job. <laughs> that that, that <laughs> yeah. person get that job because all of the soldiers and sailors got up and said, yeah, what we need is more transgender people. And now there's somebody there who's doing the job just fine. Thank you very much. And the only way that you could get from point A to point B is by bringing something that people found offensive into the workplace. Um, and so, yeah. so you have these two things where if you want to maintain your livelihood, you keep a low profile. And if you want to cause substantive social change, you've got to get your head above the water and get ready to get beat up. Yeah. And, and to me where, and I'd agree with that. I think, I think that's, those are some of the necessary conditions for any kind of change to happen, right? Someone, someone's got to take an unpopular stance. Someone's got to be in that minority opinion on, on whatever the topic is. Someone's got to do something that other people are either unable or unwilling to do. I just think, I think what I worry about though is, is, when sort of this, the, the popular opinion, either of, of the external, of ex, external pressure that would get, let, get rallied around a big, big company like a Google, but even internal pressure that would happen at any company, when, you know, where that line is drawn between kind of that kind of constructive um, tension and, and, and that, that dynamic of, of, of driving change, you know, ultimately with the belief that it's going to take us to a better place versus, you know, Hey, we're going to stamp that out because that's not part of our DNA, right? Because that's that's the impulse, and we saw that at Google, right? The impulse was to stamp that out, and 
and, and again, it seems kind of cut and dry in that example, but I don't think every example is that cut and dry. And I'm not sure even the Google one is that cut and dry. I think you could probably make a fairly decent argument that that, that guy shouldn't have been fired for what he, what he wrote. And the, um, that's where I worry a little bit. Like when, when, the, when that entity, that corporation starts acting and doing and thinking as an, with, with the power and, and impetus and inertia of this, of this, of this entity uh, and kind of, I don't know, making it difficult for individuals to operate certain individuals to operate in those environments. I mean, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, I'm not sure we're really clearing anything up here either other than just kind of kicking it around. I think it's a really, really tough challenge because uh, at the same time, I understand organizations wanting to have cohesiveness, wanting to have, you know, some kind of shared uh, alignment or shared DNA around the types of things that they're doing and why they're successful at doing them. And, and some of that does, I think, can, you know, manifest in certain collectivism to, 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 to a certain degree. But, but at the same time, uh, uh, when these corporations are so big and so powerful and so, so influential in the market, you know, does, is that, I don't know, for lack of a better word, is that fair for people who are maybe on the outside of that? Yeah, these, these are big questions, and I hope we don't get to answers anytime fast because, <laughs> because it's, you know, this is, this is we're, going to, we're going to end up building policies, and then we're going to have robot administrators covering those policies and testing to see whether or not we're inside of the policy framework. So yeah, I and, and I think and I think you're fine. I mean, you're looking at some of the technologies now. I know you mentioned that you're looking at a lot of technologies now, men, around, you know, trying to decide who's the right person to hire for a particular role or what are the right who are the right people to put together to work on a particular project. And I would imagine what you're finding, or you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine what you're finding is most of those technologies don't even can even really right now begin to factor in some of the things we're talking about, like some of these viewpoint things, some of these interaction things, some of these ways people kind of view the world and their place in it kind of things, right. That, uh, that are important and, and are difficult to measure. Yeah. But, but you know, what, what I'm finding is that we don't know very much about how organizations actually work. We don't know very much about how people actually work, and we don't know very much about what jobs are. And so, if you take that, if you take that <laughs> bunch of I don't knows and you automate them, you get some sort of logarithmic I don't know. And yeah. um, um, that's where we're going to start, right? It, we're 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 headed down the road towards implementing these things, but but I'm very sure we're going to see a lot of unintended consequence. And we're going to see automation that makes companies fail, and we're going to see decisions that 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 get made that in that in hindsight are extremely arbitrary because we put machines in charge of making those decisions. And, and, right, which is and, really counterintuitive to the reason you'll you'll be given why those machines are being implemented in the first place. Right, you're going to be given the you're going to be told that it's so we don't make arbitrary decisions. It's so that we only factor in those <laughs> quantifiable, right. measurable things. Right, it's it's so we right, it's it's all about the gut. We no more gut feeling. Right, we heard that for years. No one should hire based on gut feeling because you're terrible at it. You should make any decision based on gut feeling, maybe. I don't know. But uh, that's, 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 that's the weird paradox here. 
That is exactly the weird paradox. And so we're going to go through this time and we're going to learn some things because it's time to learn them. And this particular round of technology is going to meet us where we are and we're not particularly advanced. It's going to help us advance, but we're going to do that by making mistakes, I think. And so, so there'll be more yeah. muddle like this. What are, what are the, one of the defining characteristics of a great leader is that they're good with ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. we're going to see what a great leader is because we're about, we're about to go through class four ambiguity rapids here on this river. Yeah. And that's another thing we've been also, you know, just like cultural fit and cultural alignment. We've been talking about ambiguity forever too. I, I remember, I, I, I remember this because it's, it struck me as so unusual and that's why I remember it all these years later, but on my very first real job, quote unquote, out of college in a professional setting. And I got my first performance review and I don't remember what I got a two or three, four. I don't remember the number or anything like that, but I remember I was evaluated on something called tolerance for ambiguity. I, I was, I got a score for that or some sort of a rating and I'll never forget it because I'd never heard of it before. I'd never heard of that expression. Like I, I didn't even understand it at the time. And that was 25 years ago, more than that, something like that. Talk, right. We've been worried about ambiguity in the workplace for a long time. It's, it's uh, maybe, and certainly probably longer than that. Yeah. Well, it's it's the world in which leadership um, emerges. Right. It's 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 a it's a great thing. So, half hour come and gone, um, and and that probably makes me just like the worst host of one of these things ever because I had the the. Um, uh, luminary head of the HR tech conference on the show and didn't bother to ask him any serious questions about that. Shame on no, me. this is, uh, this is on me. I love this conversation. So don't you feel bad about it at all? I, I, I'm excited. This is the best conversation I've had all week. So, uh, it's, uh, Super fun. I actually did. I had a good conversation. I had a, a, probably a great conversation as well this morning. I did record a show with my co-host Trish McFarlane and uh, for the HR happy hour too. And I was slightly different. So uh, folks can check that out too. If you go to uh, h3hr.com uh, later this week. So perfect. anyway, so loads of fun, John. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Steve. This was great. Appreciate the, appreciate the time and energy. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Big Ideas, and we've been talking with Steve Bowes. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Ceridian creates innovative technology that organizations around the world use to attract, develop, manage, and pay their people. Its award-winning day four solution helps customers manage compliance, make better decisions, build great teams, and drive engagement with their employees. Ceridian has solutions for organizations of all sizes. Ceridian makes work life better. For more information, visit www.ceridian.com. 